right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Truthzilla. My name is Scott. Sitting here with Ed. We've got an awesome episode for you guys tonight. So we are sitting here with the powerful T. Snyder. You guys, you have to go check T's out. So go to conspiracysynergy.com. Um, T's is a filmmaker, author, researcher, gamer, and an extremely talented editor, I must say. I uh, Definitely. Ever since I got into this game and I started I started doing my own editing projects and stuff, now I start to look at people's videos like from like an editor's lens. I'm like, oh, I wonder how they did that, that transition, or how I did that. And your videos just exemplify not only how can you like tell a story using like visuals, and uh, cool little editing techniques, but the humor, the humor of just having a thing, do a thing. Like, it's just, it's great, dude. And I just really <laughs> want to encourage everybody, 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 conspiracysynergy.com. He's on episode five right now of just like deep dives into the stuff that you don't see. I love the way you put it. It's like like exposing the corruption. The corruption is like plumbing. It's everywhere. And it's full of dark shit, but you don't see it, you know? That's, I just think that's such a great way to encapsulate it. So, Tease, welcome to the show, man. Thanks very much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate being able to have a conversation with you at long last. Yeah, at long last. Oh, yeah. And you even featured us in one of your videos. That was such an honor, too. You reached Definitely. out to us. You're like, hey, check this out. I can feature you guys in the video. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate the the lightness and spirit that you bring to such deep, dark conversations, because it is the kind of thing that we've all experienced firsthand being kind of buried by or feeling like we can't get out from under, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that's, that. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for lending your voice, you know? Totally. And thank you. I mean, that's what you do, too. Like, like it's very humorous. It's entertaining. It's digestible. And it's, it's just amazing, man. And of course... He sent us these awesome shirts, you guys. Like, yes. what the heck? So we were originally going to do COVID-1984. this. COVID-1984. COVID-1984. And we have a story about this, too. We'll tell you in a minute. But uh, we were going to do this conversation back in December. And Tease was like, oh, man, I want to get you guys these shirts before we do it. I'm like, all right, all right. So we postponed it. And and here they are. So I got my. So tell us. So tell us a little. Oh, you know what? I should probably grab the other one, too, even though uh, Megan yeah, isn't here to your uh, Megan shirt, even though she's not here to, to model it. I'll grab it, too. But uh Give us the rundown. So what? What? Well, I'll grab it while you're. Okay, you're gonna grab it. Okay, okay, Ed's gonna grab it. So what's the story with this guy here? So that's anonymous Santa, and it's basically (sighs) just a combination of the V for Vendetta mask, which is you know the the classic fifth of remember uh, or fifth of November remember remember kind of uh, combined with the idea of Santa, which is a really just interesting mythological figure i don't know what you mm-hmm. want to call it that we've been habituated and entrained by such that now we've kind of like worshiped the dude in a way so the whole idea of all of the art that i bring to all of my different shows is to take plays on things that we all know and familiar that we all know and are familiar with and kind of just tweak it a little bit so that it speaks to a number of different themes at the same time that's why like my my whole production company that is just representing myself is called original cliche entertainment and that's sort of mm-hmm. what that is it's just an original cliche you know anonymous santa it's just mm-hmm. the combining of the two and then as far as the other shirt which is the covid 1984 one that kind of just delves into the whole experience that we're going through and it tells the story firsthand the c is the covid the big bad virus that's coming to bite us all it looks like that we're keeping ourselves safe with the mask which is the o except that it's a little bit of a grenade and it's got the mm. chains on the side and then it goes into the double v one of which is broken it looks like it might be leaking something it's leaking a lot of <laughs> questions but then it picks up in the other v which is only allows exclamations only mm. those 
very, very opinionated people then factor into the latter part, which is ID, IDing us in the digital ID, which is the D, which is made out to look like the Google G. Yep. And the funny thing about the I in the center of that D, that is literally Bill Gates' eyeball. I took, okay. I copied okay. his eye out and put it in the center of it. And so there are all these different kind of like thematic kind of artistic notes that play into all of the stories that we tell both as people, but also the ones that resonate with us most. So I try and lend my artistic sort of lens to the conspiratorial realm to be able to encapsulate it adequately to then present that not only to the people in the know, but to the people who just don't know, you know, mm -hmm. total, total normies. It's about getting those worlds to come and hang out together. Because once we do that, we change the world, you know? Yes, yeah. the conspiracy yeah. synergy piece, right? Bringing, bringing yeah. the minds all together. And, and you know, there's, there's some value that we can get from the normies, those that don't understand or that are just fully awakening. We can learn how we approach and how we cater our message, you know? There's so much we yeah. can learn from them, you know, if they give us the opportunity to engage in a conversation. Usually that's the hard part to begin with. <laughs> no, I agree with that. Actually, the next episode I'm going to do after the one that I'm working on now, which is on CIA aliens and uh, secret technology, um, the episode after that goes into the entire dynamic of trying to talk to our normally normie families and to reach out to people who we don't know. Cause I really value and appreciate the insight that you just shared, which is that we have a lot to learn from them. Yeah. That is so true. So, so true. We, we have this tendency and even in the language that I just adopted myself to describe it, to divide prior to the point of coming to, to reunite. And, and so you sort of spoke about it just now in a way in which that reuniting takes precedent to the description that is divisive. And so, yeah, I, I see that next episode is delving into that same basic thread. What can we learn from them? What can they learn from us? How in the hell can we talk to each other yeah. and even find the the strength to sit down and listen? You know, that yeah, totally, totally. And, and so much of it, too, is like when I listen to them and I'm just trying to like I have to not only try to figure out how to cater my message, but try to like not just jump down their throats like, oh, my God, you're such an idiot. Like, how could you be even saying that? You know, and you just have to sometimes you just have to just know you pick your battles. You know what I mean? It seems like a, a lot of people like asking questions is asking one of the questions. best ways, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, get them get them to process it in their mm -hmm. mind. Let lead them to come to their own conclusions. Right. Because because I, I think that there's so much ego in us that it's, it's we get things more when we when we discover it ourselves, Right. Totally. And we yeah. can lay claim to That's it. That's the only way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a there's a CIA interview that I cite at one point that was actually with Keith Knight over um, he, he does the don't tread on me. He's a, a voluntarist. And it was with a CIA interrogator and the way the interrogator was describing how he gets the people he's interrogating. And he doesn't do it violently. He does it just kindly uh, to change their minds is to build them a golden bridge to retreat from. So the way you just described them coming to realize it themselves, it's not just them coming to realize it themselves, make it look like they're an altruist, fantastic, yeah. brilliant person who has come to realize it themselves. <laughs> and it goes to like the next level yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So maybe we need to start learning CIA interrogation <laughs> techniques. And that's oh, how we wake everybody up. Yeah. No, it's and he also wrote a book. It's really interesting the insights that the dude brings to it, and it's I always find it so interesting listening to the perspective from the people within the establishment because a yeah. lot of the time they have those pure gold insights that we're missing, and a lot of the time we have those pure gold insights that they're missing because oh, yeah. the most propagandized people are internally within these organizations. We think that we get it bad in like a civilian population. Try watching like the industrials, and industrials is a term for a commercial that is made. In term internally mm. for a corporation watch those industrials like 
what they have been taught to believe is true. And it's just like, holy crap. Wow. I thought we had it. Hey guys, just want to take a minute to tell you how you can come support the show. So if you go to truthzilla.org, that's the best spot to find everything right at the top. You'll see a support the show tab. You know, we've got the list of all ways to contribute. Um, also another great way is over on Patreon. You guys are over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash truthzilla. Uh, we're going to be posting all kinds of premium content over there. We'll send you a free DVD of Frankenskies with a note from the crew as an incentive, which is nice to have a hard copy. I know you can watch it on BitChute and all these other websites but it's nice to have a physical copy and a note from the crew so go sign up at patreon.com and look for some really cool stuff coming exclusively to Patreon here soon speaking of premium content we also do a weekly clown town update over on Rockfin so Rockfin is pretty much where we planted our flag that's the main home where you can find everything Truezilla we do our weekly clown town update which is for premium uh, Rockfin subscribers so rokfin.com forward slash Truthzilla now I want to shout out our uh, sponsors over at Truth TRS. So TruthTRS.com. Yes. TRS is an odorless, tasteless zeolite spray that absorbs all the heavy metals that are in your body and it flushes them out of your body. It's a freaking awesome product. We all use it. TruthTRS.com to learn more about all that. Um, and then our other sponsors are Cody over at Cody. Cody's Crystals on Instagram. It's at C-O-D-Y-S underscore crystals. And then also, of course, Modern Retro Radio. Adis. Our friend Audis at ModernRetroRadio.com, ModernRetroFM.com, or on the TuneIn app. Of course, you guys, if you can't financially support the show, another great way to do that is just share the show. Uh, or just give us a five-star rating. Five-star ratings go a long ways on iTunes to help drive the show for uh, new listeners. So anyway, anything else? Thanks so much, guys. Right, Enjoy guys, the show. Back to the show. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, show them Megan's shirt here. Okay. So same one, same, same design same you're wearing, you're but wearing. but give us a rundown on this. I know you definitely use the white rabbit uh, symbology throughout your work yeah. and your website. So Yeah, so what that whole idea is, and diving into kind of the art of it, I use a lot of esoteric symbolism. So those of you with eyes that see and ears that hear, you're going to pick up on a lot of threads beyond the margins of what most people will observe. And from the very onset of the first episode, I'm telling you everything about what the experience will entail. Mm -hmm. It's going to be your light side, it's going to be your dark side, and they're each going to go different ways to come together. One is going to be the road of the rabbit hole, which is actually the darkest part of the heart. If you think about it, mm -hmm. the most painful part of entering into conspiracy is confronting the greatest pains that we ourselves have endured. And so too, those which have been put upon us in society. And a lot of the time they tend to overlap. So the most painful part of diving into conspiracy and entering the rabbit hole is that a lot of the time it overlaps with the darkest sides of ourselves. And a lot of the time we lack the courage to be able to glimpse that. Whereby on the, on the other side, you got the cat, which is sort of the predatory juxtaposition of the, the white rabbit, mm -hmm. which is going to need to be ascending that spiral staircase to be able to reach the light. So they're sort of like opposites of one another that are going along a similar trajectory in order to not really meet in the middle so much as to diverge apart and then to come back together to form a heart. Wow. That's what it is. That's what the ascension of our light and dark sides in kind of juxtaposition, but more of like a back and forth pendulum swing ultimately plays out as over the course of our lives. And I tell you all of that from the very beginning hidden in the symbolism of, of how I foreshadow the rest of the show. Wow, that's powerful that's stuff. Great. I never uh, made the correlation with the black cat and the white rabbit juxtaposition, but I suppose that, that definitely makes sense. I love yeah. it, man. Love it. Um, So I want to ask you too, so your film, your short film, Blindfold, like I love that, dude. Like I, I want to I talk about a little bit about what got you into not only conspiracy but, but filmmaking in general, but uh, I just uh, – 
I feel I really want to know like what that lawyer and his family like how many masks they're wearing now. <laughs> like, oh, oh the really? Okay, yeah. So for those of you who haven't seen, or and probably most people haven't, and I want to put, out, like, I will put links to everything. So we'll make sure everyone oh, yeah, goes yeah. and checks them sure. out. Like this is this is so, good stuff. Here, I'll tell them a but little bit. But give us about a little story. What, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Blindfold is a short film about the troubled relationship between a 9-11 widower father and his teenage or preteen daughter as she comes to start to look into 9-11 truth. And the widower hasn't looked into it. He's just completely avoiding it and trying to just go on with his life. So when she starts talking about it and gives a presentation at school, he thinks it's a way of her trying to talk about her grief over the loss of her mother and not having that there when really she's just trying to talk about something that's important and he will not listen. And the film is ultimately about trying to get into how we've been put in these precarious positions wherein we turn against ourselves and one another and how the way to overcome that sometimes is contra like confrontation it's controversial it's painful it's messy but that's a big part of what it is to be family and to overcome those divides together and so it's it's a short film that is not produced by hollywood it's something that i made when i went to the new york new york film academy i funded it myself so if you're looking for something good to watch that'll kind of like uh refresh your spirits in a way that speaks to the reality go and check out that short film blindfold and it's been featured on the corbett report it came out like eight or ten years ago that's how i first met richard grove and mm -hmm. uh, through him a variety of other different people in the truth community Community. And I'm really just appreciative that the film kind of stood the test of time because as much as it centers on 9-11 truth, holy shit, if it isn't an immediate kind of lens to look at what we're dealing with now. And that's why Scott kind of just talked about the idea of what the lawyer uh, in the okay. film, how many masks he's wearing and stuff. The really interesting thing about the dude who played the lawyer, yeah. he used to work either for Goldman Sachs or one of those major executive bank kind of things on the level of the people that we kind of study or starting to bump shoulders with them. So I'd have him just like sit in that chair and just, and this this ultimately didn't make it in the film and just like ad lib stuff. But listening to him talk, it's like he knew that inner world back and forth. So it's it's so interesting that maybe he'd be wearing masks or maybe he'd just be playing along you know yeah. you gotta wonder how much these people know and on what level totally and and that's what really st stood out to me in that film too is just like it did withstand the test of time and it's just like even more so nowadays like you can literally recreate that movie about just insert any topic nowadays and it would, it would just be the same exact we're really movie. just in another false flag really yeah right? so exactly it's, it's just it's just exactly. lies just like it did 20 years ago exactly i would love to see like a sequel where or now she's grown up and she's like <laughs> got her own podcast or something and just like I, I don't know. I already had that idea to use the first twenty minutes of that film yeah. and then to just pick it up twenty or like ten or fifteen years yeah. later with what we're going through now and what the evolution mm -hmm. of those characters are as they try and explore the truth and spreading it to other people. And so that is an idea that I had pitched to architects and engineers, but for nine eleven truth. Yeah. And and I've had brief correspondence with Richard Gage, but they aren't in a position to be able to sponsor the narrative thread of things and anytime they've tried to go yeah. down that road in the past it sort of slips out from under them yeah and and i suppose i'll just interject one last n kind of thought at the end of that a big part of why the narrative realm of storytelling is as consolidated and controlled as it is is because it is more powerful than news media the the stories that come out of hollywood the things that we all grew up watching that's where the epicenter of power is so if you get into like sag aftra and the contractual stipulations if you get into all of these various different convergent sort of unions and the infrastructure of hollywood how it's built and why it's built it's a control grid as much if not more than the framing of news media 
And so it's like, it's, it's just so fucked. And that's, that's the greatest liberation that we're going to need to do as a species is to reclaim the art of storytelling for ourselves. And I yeah. see like what you're talking about with editing, it's yeah. venturing in that direction. Yeah. And it's just like this whole labyrinth of, holy fuck, I didn't even realize until you start to walk that path. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I don't think um, Richard Gage is going to be able to help you much these days. I don't know if you've heard about how they he got kicked off of 9-11. Uh, well, so I just uh, we just uh, got put in touch with um, Richard's people and I'm working on getting him on the show. But uh, apparently, yeah, the story is, is that he was voted out of his own organization because he would not take the shots. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? So I can't wait to talk to him about it because it's just like, so the board of directors of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, who you would assume would have to automatically be the most wide awake people to what's going on in the world. They're controlled. No, no, no. Like, I hear you. I hear you. But they don't. They threw Citizens United under the bus. So, like, I've been following these guys for a long time. They are the politically correct introductory notes that will not go beyond a certain margin. They won't talk about energy weapon. They won't talk about human experimentation. They won't talk about oh, so many different variables that overlap deliberately to make it that fog of war psyop where you spend five, like I spent five years studying 9-11. So it's like, we spend all of this time figuring out what they planned for 40 years. It's like, I don't remember if it was Carl Rogue, but he was talking about, we're an empire now. We create the reality and then you sift through the rubble trying to figure out what really happened. Yeah. Wow. And that's, yeah. that's like an approximation of what he said. So the idea that architects and engineers, the organization would yeah. go that way doesn't surprise me. No, one bit. not at all. Not but at it's all. very interesting that Richard got voted out yeah, of it. That's, so yeah. Good. Yeah. that's so. the word on the street. And he's public about it, too. Like I saw an interview of him talking about it. And I really want to get into it. But it just seems like there's the irony of it, like the irony oh. of it. Like they don't understand. Like, obviously, they're, they're, it's a control operation at this point. But it's like, yeah. you know, <sighs> they don't recognize that the same people that did 9-11 are the same people doing this right now. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that right there is an insignia of the degree to which not necessarily from an external influence, although that may be the case. I don't know. Yeah. They are within the margins of what is acceptable discussion. And, and I think there's a lot of that going on right now. You know, a lot of the doctors you hear talking out against, uh, you know, maybe mandatory shots so will still tell you that the shot's good, right? Like they'll, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and they'll, they'll be like, uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but, yeah. right? And they'll, they'll have to clarify themselves over and over so they make sure they stay in those bounds to, to say anything. Right. Yep. And, we're, and and meanwhile, over here, we're going like they're all bad. Right. All bad. Like like all the shots like have toxic shit in them. They're they're a toxic mix up of chemicals. Yep. You know what I like? Gandhi was an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. So it's nice if it's like, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer. Be like, yeah, I like Gandhi. You don't like Gandhi. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they're, they're creating false yeah. associations of negative emotion which then overlap in the 3d matrix of how we experience our thoughts in 11 dimensional composition only they don't have the self-awareness to be able to realize that they're associating things that have nothing to do with one another Mm -hmm. so screw it play with that game in response and be like why don't you like gandhi i mean sure he beat his wife and ended up doing some weird tantric sex stuff at the end of his life but for a while he was cool you know yeah for a while he was cool yes yes i think like jesus martin luther king they would all been anti-vaxxers dude. jesus did a better job man yeah yeah Yeah. um so so tease tell us a little bit about like okay so i'm curious like what your awakening was like like how when did you start waking up and when did you how did that the confluence happen with your filmmaking when did those kind of intermingle 
So that that touches on a lot of different questions, and I'll kind of just answer okay. it all in sort of like the the uh, amalgamated story of where I came from and why. And um, my waking up process sort of started in the thralls of the compulsory school system itself because I hated it. It was a prison. It was built to destroy us and to abuse us and to disrespect us every single step of the way. And I was acutely aware of that. Um, so. I was always awake in the sense of being a very anti-authoritarian uh, class clown, sort of rambunctious rebel who was put in the dumb class because I wouldn't cooperate even though I'm not particularly dumb. So that gives you an interesting insight into what they deem or describe as stupidity. Mm -hmm. It is a lack of conformity. Yeah. So <laughs> that sort of as a conditioned expose to the ra realities that await come time you poke your head out of the box that you're sealed away in, almost like a coffin during your developmental years, eventually led into reading a book uh, like No Logo by Naomi Klein. And Naomi Klein has since fallen off the, the rails of uh, credible journalism, let's say, in the sense that she went from writing No Logo to then write The Shock Doctrine, which was a good book, to then writing, um, or there's there's another one I'm missing, but, but she ended up writing This Changes Everything, which is a climate hysteria kind of thing that, that did not adequately go into the subject. And now she works for the World Economic Forum. Ooh. So when I talk about the introductory steps of my awakening, it's a really interesting convergence with those who we at first perceive to themselves be awake can themselves go to sleep. It's a weird back and forth process that kind of happens over and over in life. And I can't help but linger on the suspicion that it has something to do with success. Like earlier today, I was reading Jesse Ventura defending the vaccine and talking about how, how Trump is right. And I'm like giving him shit on Twitter because I think that it's just pathetic that he's gone yeah. on that road. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of like a segue insofar as like one of the things I've noticed about it isn't just that you're awake and you stay awake. It's that the circumstances of life can change in a way in which even some people who were awake can fall asleep. So that's one of those things that we have a tendency to forget and, and to allow ourselves. So uh and also, even then, you're never fully awake. It never stops. So I sort of went from that introductory shock of, holy shit, like, it's an exploitative factory of creating an illusion and then selling it to us in the form of a brand so that we're willing to brandish exploitation, thinking that we're cool all the while. But we're not. It's it's just horrific. And then that went from there to eventually seeing like the film Zeitgeist. And that was when it's like, I look at the whole introduction to 9-11 and I wasn't at the point of understanding the centralized bankers and the parts that they played and all that kind of stuff because it was a long time ago. But I got the 9-11 stuff. I'm like, that is a legitimate point of inquiry that bears extraordinary relevance to the geopolitical stage and it is negligence on an individual or societal level to throw it by the wayside and pretend that it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of those things where I step behind and I'm like, this is not just fucking important. This is seminally important and will factor into the future extraordinarily, be it something that those around me can recognize or not. So through that, I kind of had the idea for the film Blindfold, which is what I went to New York to do. I had already written it based off of a short story that I did to then do there. And that's because all of my art for as long as I've been working on it past the point of about, uh, I'd say probably like 16 or 17 years old, is exclusively focused on controversy. And that's because controversy is so volatile and contentious that we often lack the emotional resilience to approach it at all, let alone digest it outright. So absent art, which is what art is supposed to be, it's a medium of 
interaction for that which is beyond ourselves. And if we are removed from art and are instead saturated in entertainment, it robs us of the depths of ourselves and our ability to express ourselves to one another. So I sort of recognize this fundamental like um, atrophy of the depths of soul that's supposed to be at the heart of the stories that we tell one another. And meanwhile, there's this fucking story that's extraordinarily important to everybody and nobody's really doing it justice or telling the tale. So I'm like, okay, I gotta go to film school and make this movie to try and tell the story that nobody else seems like they're willing to tell because everything else seems like it's built in a way where it's trying to send us to hell, you know? So my, my whole philosophy insofar as what I do is to use my skill sets to broach controversy so that we we can come to a point of recognizing objective truth for what it is coming together again in the in the way in which you know we are going to tear apart and we are going to come back together maybe in the future naomi klein will be more inclined to see the light and so that's one of those things where it's just like we can't give up on each other we, we got to be in that fight and the best way to do that i feel is to tell great stories yeah that's, that's awesome great. and uh so that leads me to kind of and you kind of alluded to it um but i've heard you describe the process about how conspiracy synergy came to be and just the the idea behind that on another show but but tell us tell us a little bit about how conspiracy synergy is born so i'm a deeply intuitive person who in essence in this incarnation on this earth is more or less playing the part of the fool i have weird glimpses and that's that's a tarot uh, uh inference or mm -hmm. reference to those of you who read uh the, the book not read okay anyway uh <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm getting caught in the the juxtaposition between esoteric explanations and and, and common vernacular so uh for those all of right, you who are just right. getting introduced to conspiracy what i just said is a bunch of gibberish anyway um i i started down the road of the show because i'm an intuitive person and uh the coalescent whatever the hell existence is began to kind of give me those little nudges in that direction i was initially working on a different project called viva la santa which is uh, a graphic novel based off of a screenplay that i wrote which was about a dystopian future where everyone thinks santa claus is real because it's a metaphor for the state the state has assumed the role of santa claus to get away with being oppressive to people and then everyone just goes along with it because it's santa claus you know and so then they sell their children into the absurdity of that insanity because it's santa claus you know so that's that's kind of like the nostalgic craziness that we use to indoctrinate our kids so it was a good good metaphor but what happened was i got about i don't know probably four or five months of work into that and then i just stopped immediately because what that project was was a tool to refine my illustrating abilities because i've only been working as an illustrator for about two years now i've had to teach myself to do it over the course of the past few years in order to build up to a point where i could then apply those skill sets in a different way and i find the way that nature spirals out in our coalescent existence come to express itself is that it'll sort of give you things out of order that will then make sense later and so that was the felt process of that happening to me, transitioning from one project to the next at a seminal moment in time, still speaking to the same themes in a lot of the same ways, but so much of the approach that I've taken over the course of my life to trying to broach the truth to other people has been indirectly through the use of metaphor within stories. So Blindfold is an example of that. I've also written a number of different books that touch on a variety of different subjects, but at this point in time, I don't think that can be pulled off anymore mm. because it's too immediately real. Yeah. So I had to then flip the the sort of, uh, let's say, 
spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. I had to flip that to not be story so much as a humorous accent and visual learning accompaniment that comes with my show. Because it's really important to understand that my show, what it is, it's not like a podcast. It takes me three months to edit one of these. And the reason it takes that long is because it is a meticulous refinement of narrative scaffolding that we have all been entrained to be more receptive to, myself included, all of us. Our habitual exposure to media over the course of our lives has made it so that we expect reality to be episodic. Now, to a certain extent, that is illustrative of how nature itself works. So that's there and our hearts are in the Mm -hmm. right place. But it goes beyond that to an entrained dependency on almost uh, not media illiteracy, but like for us to perceive, we have to have seen it on TV. You know, it's like that kind of thing. So it's like if we don't have a story to think of that illustrates the reality, we're at a loss because we're not accustomed to that process. We've seen all of these different various like suggestive narrative apparatus of what we should expect from reality. And it's like Tyler Durden and Fight Club was talking about, you know, it's like we all, we were told that we're going to be rock stars and movie gods, but we're not. And we're very pissed off about it. That's one example of that narrative going awry. So yeah, there's, there's all that stuff going on to in the center of it. But I got started on Conspiracy Synergy by trying to pick up the threads of the mission I was already on and to try and weave that tapestry for the moment we're in, you know, that. Yeah. yeah. And it's just amazing work, man. I really hope everyone goes and checks it out. Um, I, I just they're they're very entertaining. So when's the next one coming out? You think it's been it's been oh, almost dude. three months now? No, no, I, I put the last one out like a month and a half ago. Yeah, so, oh, actually, a month and a half. Okay, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I was trying to do the math. Yeah, about a month and a half, two months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm about nine or ten minutes into into editing the next one. It's nice. going to be about a thirty to forty minute episode, so it'll still Beautiful. take me another month, month and a half. And that's just because if you watch the show, you'll understand why. Totally. And and if you not only watch the show, but really know what you're talking about, you'll understand why even more. Because yeah. I'm throwing yeah. in weird Easter eggs and yeah. inferences yeah. and references to stuff that only the people who really know their shit will get. And I'm also doing that to seed the subconscious of those who are first being exposed such that they will be more receptive later. So There you go. Yeah. There you go. So I was going to tell you the story about, about Ed's shirt. So when we got these three shirts in the mail, I was like, oh, this one's got to be Ed. So show, show them. So it says COVID-1984. So when we were uh, first, even before we started this podcast, like Ed, and this is like right when the, like this is probably like March, April 2020, right? And Ed's like, dude, we got to do something about this. Like we got to let people know, like we got to get people up to speed. We got to te- show them what's going on here. And he's like, I got an idea. We need to make shirts. We can make shirts and just start selling shirts. And and his idea for the first one, what was it? COVID-1984. You know, and I, I mean, Scott says that, but I, I don't remember even at this point having that original idea just because, I mean, how, how many times have we heard that now? You know, like, I think, uh, I think a lot of people had that idea about the same time. Exactly the same time. Everyone in the world is like, this is like 1984, COVID-1984. You know what I mean? It's almost like it was named that way for a reason, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, so I was like, Ed, this is your honorary shirt right here. Look, you finally have your COVID-1984 shirt. So then we got to talking and we were like, well, let's just start a podcast. Yeah. And I was the one that was like, no, dude, there's so many podcasts out there. Like, who cares? Well, that was kind of our connection, though, too, is like that's that's kind of what got us talking is like we both listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. and I think we kind of came at it from different angles. But when this when this thing happened, we both knew right off the bat that it was bullshit. Oh, yeah. That we were in a false flag. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so speaking of some of your books, we got your book over here, too. So this is this is going to be your ears and Ed's. <laughs> 
Yeah, here, play so. reality. Yeah, so man, I, I I recognized that video games weren't good for me probably a long time ago. I'm like, I gotta like not do this anymore. It's just gonna okay, consume yeah. my life. So, well, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I mean, I haven't read this yet. So I just this is the first time I'm seeing this book is is uh, right before recording here. But um, I'm really interested to read it. You know, and I it's something I probably don't talk about on the show much just because it's it's almost uh, there's almost some shame to it to be in the truther oh. crowd and like and like be a gamer, right? But like I definitely play my video games. I I, I don't think I go overboard and and you know i'm not like addicted but I, I certainly there's obviously they affect us right so so uh let's let's get a little bit of your take here uh tease because you it says on the back here that it says uh uh t snyder is a lifelong writer and gamer mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Okay. yeah sure so you're totally right in the sense of there is that kind of lingering stigma that has sort of gone from uh you know, it's gone through different stages over the course of the evolution of video games. And you're correct that it has its unique sort of uh, felt sense within the truth community because we're also alerted to and aware of the agenda of technocracy sure. and how the video game industry itself is a subversive lure to pull people in that direction. Yes. The metaverse is a great example of yeah. that. How Pokemon Go uh, was overlapped in a way in which it was tracking your personal information so that it could then use that for other things. And that's a lot of how the industry is built up and how things have been built and how technology itself is, in essence, just the secretions of the deep state gradually bled out to the public however they want to heat feed their hamsters vis-a-vis us running their wheels you know yes. they they release the technology that they want us to have so that they can accomplish what we need to accomplish as their slaves and in essence video games are the immersive control grid that they anticipated would be in the nail in our coffin but it hasn't played out that way yeah. because what it in essence simultaneously does is it it doesn't condition so much as it brings about the awareness that you, the ape on the other side of the screen, have the ability to be in control. You don't just have to be a player. You don't just have to be a pawn. You can break the game and play it the way that you want. If you look at a game like Skyrim, people are running around putting buckets on the heads of non-playable characters, and that's how they're playing the game. They're doing it in a different creative fantastical funny and absurdist kind of way because that's the the spirit of play and the power of play is foundational to the species so before we go into the technocratic realm of how we conceive of video games we need to come back to the human aspect which is play itself if you look at the play habits that are exhibited from a healthy human being uh let's take the lens of the animal experiments that have been done if you take a, I don't know if it was a rat or a mouse, but, and you basically screw with their play habits so that they don't happen naturally. They then lack the self-confidence to venture out later in life. And that can be so severe that they will actually die as a result of it. So play habits are the practiced refinement of real world skill sets and abilities later on in life. So what we've had building up to video games is one-to-many media infrastructures. There's a a priest-like class of people who creates the infrastructure of the narratives that they want to tell us that we sit there and blindly receive. But video games changed that. They made it so that, no, 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 I'm going to play the game that I want to play in the way that I want to play it, venture out into the world as the hero of time, not within the game, but emboldened and strengthened by that game to then transition those play learn skill sets into the real world 
It isn't about refining your ability to be locked within the game. That's the technocratic agenda. It's about learning from our played behaviors to then empower ourselves in life. And it then goes a step deeper than that via my mother who co-authored the book with me. And really it's more her book. It's based on her research. She's a video game and dream researcher. And a lot of people don't understand that what video games have started out as is in essence entertainment, but that's not what they are. Mm. That's, that's just one application of their use. Think of like, so using your guys uh, uh, like Godzilla logo, think of Godzilla before it was irradiated. That's kind of what video games are. They, they can become any number of different things. They could be a horrific monster that threatens us all, or they could be the galactic force that saves us from Mothra. You know, yeah. I'm thinking that they do have both those sides to them and they have provenly been so via the research. So a lot of people know the cons of video games, but they don't understand that it's simultaneously factoring into the dreams of gamers, making it so that they're more likely to be inoculated against nightmares, more likely to be willing to have the courage to venture out and face their forward foes, more likely to practice these otherwise removed play habits so that we are emboldened to be the hero of time in this time, not in the game. You know, Man. so that's that's kind of a brief encapsulation of what it is. Sure. And that isn't to say that it's all good, because we're very honest about the fact that there's significant addictive problems that go along yes. with that. Very honest about the fact that, like, if you look at the highest incidence of PTSD in the military, it comes from the people who are flying drones because wow. they'll murder a kid and then they'll go home and sit at at dinner with their kids and pretend that it was just a normal day at the office. And that sort of discrepancy it brings about like the subtlety of madness that hard boils us within ourselves. So there's all this really messed up shit going on that generally speaking, people don't have a lens into, let alone any real grasp of that's because there's so many things happening right now. It's like, holy shit, how do you even keep, how do you even keep up with it? You know? Yeah. So it's like we go into, and this is like an eight-year-old book at this point, but we kind of touch on all that in a very brief way where it's like 90 or a hundred pages. And it's like, here, this, this is what's going on. You guys is crazy. That's awesome. And I think that can the same thing can be said pretty much about any technology. You know, it would be so nice if we lived in a world where these people that had the power and their money and the resources and the innovative like labs, if they were like utilizing all their research and development and if they were trying to innovate towards something positive for humanity, if they were trying to really enrich us and give us like free energy or like you can't tell me you don't have free energy. Come on now. They figured that out a long time ago. You know what I mean? That sort of stuff. And if that if that was their mission, if that was on their hearts, like if it was in their spirit to make this world truly a better place rather than just ways to capture our data now at this point that's really all it is is just now to capture our data like it's just so sad you know and so we get you got to look at like you know the 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 fruit of the trees you know you can judge a tree by its fruits so we can we can look at the people who are creating things like the metaverse and be like well i automatically know that it's not to my benefit because look at who's making it well i suppose <laughs> i'll put it this way the the analogy that you use the fruit of the tree yeah. is a perfect Think of olives. Well, the fruit of the tree tastes like shit if you eat it just the way that it is. Mm. But if you do something else with it, you can make something invaluable out of it. Mm. And so that's what's happened with video games. The fruit of the tree, they expected to be bitter to us. But actually, it's turned out another way. It enriches us. Oh, so okay. So how do we? So how do we flip the metaverse to our favor? I know that there's probably. Okay, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that de facto. Okay. Yeah. There. I mean, I think there is different levels because I. I. You know, as someone who is into games, like I. 
I, I got an Oculus earlier. Your on. Oculus is pretty badass. I got I an admit. Oculus, and I was I, like, "Let's check this out, right, dude, guys?" Look, but then, as I saw like what the the direction the metaverse was going, I kind of took step back and goes, "I, I don't know I, about this." And plus, I, I've just read a lot more about just um, you know, just having uh, all those those uh, EMF waves and stuff at your head is probably not a good idea, right? So I've kind of stepped back from that in just just on on that basis. But uh, when, once you see the metaverse, I mean, you know, I, it feels like they're building the matrix, man. Yeah, I got to be careful with it. I'm a, I'm a highly addictive person with lots of insecurities. You plug me into the freaking metaverse, dude, it's, I may never come back. I don't know. <laughs> I'd say that almost, yeah, it's really interesting that we think of the metaverse as a video game because I suppose it is kind of like the encapsulative scaffolding that's more or less the same. But it's like I think of the metaverse as an extension of social media, not really a video mm. game. It's like, it's like th we conceptualize it of the way and do because of the likeness that it has to something else. But what it's meant to be is a hijacking of social behavior mm. to then like poison and subvert it. You know, you know what yeah, you guys yeah, understand. Yeah. You read all this. I don't have to explain it to you. Like, yeah. yeah. So your suspicions about that shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Zuckerberg being a proprietary. And the, for those of you listening who don't know what a proprietary is, a proprietary is basically like a quote unquote sort of front man who is a mere portion of the actual um controllers or owners of any given organization another proprietary would be elon musk another one would be bill gates and so these are sort of people who fill those public roles to be front man for what are ultimately deep state operations yeah. or uh private uh quote unquote businesses that are in actuality seeded through tax funding which is military industrial in nature so mm -hmm. zuckerberg and his whole whatever the fuck you could more or less look at at that like borg dude and understand that he's plugged into the wrong thing just about every step of the way you're, you're totally spot on in that man yeah absolutely so you talk a lot about the uh, compartmentalized nature of like the the power structure right the hierarchy yeah. and uh yeah. would you say that he is just a compartment like he's not even really sure of the big picture or do you think he's read in the people like elon's and the the zuckerberg do you think they're read in on the whole thing or if they're just serving their role as a just a compartment in the hierarchy it's kind of both at the same time like uh if you look at elon musk it's like he would pawn emeralds to be able to go out and party at nightclubs in his youth so it's like he comes from a fair amount of wealth uh, you look at like Bill Gates, there was something where it, it, we all know the eugenics of his family and mm -hmm. how it's in essence just a spinoff of Rockefeller investments. And so there's sort of like proxy fronts who are themselves willing participants who are high on the ride. They are by no means the geniuses that they are presented as. Uh -uh. Zuckerberg was basically a, a person who occupied the halls of uh, the prestigious academic institution that he went to to then be the front face of what was previously a dark program yep. you know so it's like does that make him anything more than a convenient actor at a particular time to then pick up the role that had previously been private to make it public and what does that ultimately come to form as because we as the public have to perceive it as if it's a spontaneous emergence that's organic but it's not and the more that we dive into that, the more that becomes apparent. So really Zuckerberg and Musk and Gates and and that whole kind of like realm of person is, and I'd, I'd throw Trump in there with this too. Mm. They, well, Trump's on another level, but they know how it works, quote unquote, but they're so 
either born into it or sold out to it, mm. that they are inseparable from being a part of it, but they are by no means the heart of it, you know? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So I'm, uh, I'm actually venturing down the tragedy and hope journey right now. I'm on chapter six, right? Okay. So, and I know you talk a lot about it. Um, so I started it. Yeah. Okay. Great. 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 So here we go. So, so that, and then in your, what episode four, I think it was, you talk a lot about, uh, some of the, the these early power establishments that, that, uh, kind of seize control, right? Like we have, uh, Cecil Rhodes, we have, uh, yep. Milner, right? And he, he took over. Can we trace, well, maybe give us a little, in your words, like just to help me kind of like understand what I'm reading here. Uh, like, like basically your, your summation of that. And can we, the big question is, is can we trace these guys, these big, you know, uh, what do you call them? The big bankers, the big uh, back then to what we're seeing right now. Like, can we trace like the Zuckerbergs back to these guys? Is it the same agenda or are these divert? Do they diverge at any point? Well, they're always constantly diverging and converging based on their ideological religious dispositions. And so uh, that could be anything from dark Luciferianism, Satanism, uh, literal Christian Catholicism, all these different sort of religious notions that we understand. But so, too, it can be religious expressions through engineered constructions. So technocracy is one of those. And we've seen that go back to um, the early 19th century. And so the sort of dabbled sprinklings of these various convergent threads are there going back all the way through history. And history does have receipts and we can read those receipts and surprise, surprise, the same assholes who are, are in control now have been throughout all mm -hmm. of human history in one form or another. They've just gotten better at hiding it, obscuring it, obfuscating it or putting out proxy frontmen. I mean, if you look at like the uh, French Revolution, what they learned most from that was to have some stupid dupe in the front to get their head cut off instead of you, you know, and so you can talk about like Cecil Rhodes. Uh, yeah, but I mean, he was a Rothschild man. So even mm -hmm. he himself was funded. And so it's like there are all these stupid layers to the way in which like the sediment of bullshit of the history that we're buried beneath has been taught. And oh, yeah, you, you can piece it together. Tragedy and Hope, the book is is a great introduction to that. I find Quigley's writing extraordinarily boring, uh, but yeah. uh, I, I also think that it's important kind of like context um, for those of you who want to dive into that kind of stuff in a, a less dreary note i'd recommend tragedy to hope 101 which is joe Plummer's work and he kind of like goes over the key kind of passages to be able to flush it out if you want a briefer version the anglo-american establishment which is quigley's next book uh, that came out just after his death does a better job because he like Frankly, I don't even really like the book Tragedy and Hope. I just understand its historical importance. Mm -hmm. The Anglo-American establishment, I'd recommend far more than that because yeah. it's like, here's how the superstructure is built. Here's why it's built that way, who built it. And he just gives it all to you. And he can because he's freaking dead at that point. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't aware of that book until your video. And so that's definitely on my list too. Like I love I can't I can't wait. Yeah, it is dry, but every now and then it like it like it piques your interest and like like they just he just point blank talks about like the Rothschilds about how like you know they have a tendency to marry their cousins and their nieces and i'm just like oh wow okay yeah yeah there <laughs> <Yeah>. you go <laughs> yeah no it's really interesting when you start to look at the way in which the great game which is is the the description of how the monarchy used to marry their cousins and then try and like overthrow one another almost like their citizens are their pawns in a real life chess game mm -hmm. uh, and that was called the great game and then you look at like oh well what does incest bring about disproportional uh, or disproportional 
disproportionate degree of sociopathy and psychopathy. Mm. So that's interesting. Almost like they kind of snowballed together. Is that something that they knew or understood that they were just introduced to? Or is that a long lineage passing throughout the species that by and large we haven't been clued into? Are there royal bloodlines? What are those royal bloodlines? Who are these people that regard themselves as sanctified and pure? And what in fact are they purified by? Is it good or evil? And I don't know the answers to all these questions, but if you really start to dig into this shit, it's far more there than it is absent. It's only absent from the superficial gloss that we all have a tendency to glean, you know? Wow. Yeah, that's that's so true. At the same time, though, you're not finding that in your uh, history books. You know, no. you're oh, not going to be taught no. that in, uh, in in your uh, public schools. And I think there there's uh, uh, yeah, one of the things you talk about is like, I mean, something with like tragedy and hope. It's like he's exposing all this shit that's like that that they've tried to bury, right? And and I, it's it's interesting being in this point in history. And obviously, we've seen what happened with nine eleven, but but we're like in COVID, watching like right before our eyes. They they're you're seeing what's happening and they're they're telling you what's happening and they're two different things like mm. like right oh, on yeah. the screen what they're saying and what is happening in your eyes is two different things and and what what the books the history books are going to say is oh, this yeah. thing that they said on tv that that might be their downfall this might actually literally be their downfall because now they can't go back and revise history the way they're used to they're not going to be able to cover it up as long as we, there's people like us and there's us putting out books and content and stuff you know they won't be able to get away with this damn it not on my watch <laughs> I have no idea. This all depends on the lens of time that we yeah. look at it through. I'm I'm super hopeful like you guys are. And I think that we ultimately do have the, the technological, quote unquote, weapons uh, of mass information dissemination, not misinformation dissemination, mm -hmm. which has been the norm previously. So I totally agree with you with that. Um, it's going to be fucking interesting to watch, man. I'll yeah. say that like where it's going and how it's going to play out. I do not know. I will say, insofar as my personal kind of hunch about what's happening, this is step one. COVID yeah, 100%, is a brief, 100%. brief gloss introduction to the real shit later on. And that's transhumanism. Yeah. And that's if you want to get right into it, it's technically a spiritual war. Yeah. And it's, it's all this other stuff, too. And we got to get right as a species because playtime is over. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's it is difficult, and I'm sure you feel this. It's just I feel like I'm sick of predicting what's what's happening, and then people not, <laughs> you know, like I said, this was going to happen 18 months ago. The the vax passport. Here we are. Here we are now. Why is it not bad now? You said it wouldn't happen back then. Now you're saying, oh, well, you know, it's needed. You know, we're telling you right. it's about the digital ID now, right? We're telling you that's what it's all about. Yeah, I was just going to pull this up here. I saw a great meme. It says, it says, the conspiracy theorists who warned you of vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, perpetual lockdowns, rampant inflation are now warning you about digital IDs, social credit scores, central bank digital currency, climate lockdowns, and energy rationing. To be fair, we were, we're warning them about that uh, at the start of this as well. Exactly, exactly. But it's just like, maybe you should start paying attention. That's at BTC Kaz on Twitter, I assume. But anyway, I think that's so on point. It's like, at what point? I mean, I'm just like like Charlie says. Like, I'm just gonna get a single file line. You can just walk up to me and just apologize, and then go back. Well, it's, it's it comes back to like what you said earlier. We got to build that uh, golden bridge for them. Yeah, let them discover yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really honestly happening right now. It's just not happening at the pace that we want it to because we understand the stakes. We understand that this is the third world war, that it's being uh, perpetrated via fifth generational warfare, broaching to uh, the utter erasure of any semblance of freedom everywhere on this earth. We understand that. That's a pretty serious issue that is 
the defining event of everyone's life. Only we understand the nature of what's actually happening, which is that this is a third world war. And a lot of other people are very confused thinking that it's the ostensible labeling of a public health emergency, which in some mm. respects is true because there have been mass poisonings going on deliberately culminating to this end for a long time. Yes. So it is genuinely a public health emergency as well, but not for the reasons that people think yes. and not in the way that they think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where if you really understand it for what it is, it's pretty freaking easy to wake up to it. But if you've been completely normalized to the inverse of that, mm. it seems wrong and almost a betrayal of the reality that has defined you to so much yeah. as glimpse it as if it might possibly be true. And this is this is sort of the habitually conditioned erasure of the deaths of our souls and ourselves, which is a creative expression that is robbed from us by the compulsory school system. If you think of like the, uh, like really graceful, we'll talk about this. It's like, she felt as if the beginnings of a, a super villain are being a public school teacher and making a kid raise their hand to have to go to the bathroom. You know, it's it's like, what, what are the long-term traumatic effects of how bad that has been throughout our entire lives? And now look at it where it is right now, where public schools are literally nothing but indoctrination factories. It's like, holy crap, how much worse is that gonna make it? So. I'm still figuring out the process myself of how the hell do I get people who don't are in the inverse camp to figure out that it's actually the other way around. And I'm trying to accomplish that with my show. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of jokes that I could come mm -hmm. up with to be able to say it without it being confrontational. One of them is that the actual, the worst possible thing that could happen in the entire human species from the vantage point of, of normies, as, as we quote unquote call them, is saying the sentence in their own brain that not just that conspiracy theorists were right. No, 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 that's bad enough. But Alex Jones was right. That uh, is is a terrifying enough concept <laughs> that they will probably go to their graves or take everyone else to their graves just so they don't have to say that sentence. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with the truth. It can be as simple as how abrasive truth tellers may have been at a particular moment of sensitive time, you know? So that's, it like, almost seems like that's why I always say like uh, like Trump works so well, right? So uh, Trump yeah. works so well to divide people, and they they hated him so much that they they had to grasp onto this other side that everything that was against Trump was right. And they would never yeah. take a shot that Trump invented, right? It had to be the Biden shot, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though no, it's the same so, shot, right? Yeah. Totally. No, that's you're Trump completely right. That's it. Yeah, Adam from Deborah gets red pilled. He was saying like he was talking to Deborah. He's like, you know, Deborah, you do realize now that you have more in common with Trump support, like Trump and Trump supporters, <laughs> than we do. You realize that now, right? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, James Evan Pilato over at Media Monarchy. He he. At one point on one of the New World Next Week episodes, he was saying that he liked talking about the the jab as the MAGA jab because it makes yeah. them really mad. You know, it's like that. Kind oh of yeah. Thing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> was it David Knight? David Knight who used to have a show on Infowars, and they kind of had a falling out. He calls it the Trump AIDS. That's what he calls the shots. It's just, just Trump AIDS, right? It's just yeah. AIDS that Trump developed. That's what he calls it. It's the Trump AIDS. I'm like, oh damn, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's totally. acquired deficiency just in a different way. And frankly, yep. the whole AIDS fiasco that uh, what really happened. It'll be really interesting to see how much of this comes out as Fauci kind of like goes down, and whether the the burning of him as a sacrimonial figure is a deliberate part of a prolonged psyop, which I personally believe that it is. Um, I I kind of see the overlaps with the history being an inevitability of what's coming out now. So a lot of people don't understand that AIDS in its early onset 
wasn't about HIV. It was about like malnutrition in Africa. We'd send them vaccine or we'd send them drugs, not food. It was about the uh, toxic behaviors of the gay community. I'm not talking about homosexuality, homosexuality itself being toxic. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're up all night doing poppers and things poppers, like that, yeah. it will degrade your immune system over time. And so a lot of what was contextualized in the public psyche about the notion of AIDS historically is grossly inaccurate. And so how do you roll from one quote unquote pandemic or public health threat that's built on lies to the exact same thing happening again, using the same lies yeah. and the same people without eventually setting them all flame? Because you're right. I mean, it's it's a meme that Knight was talking about, but it's also completely true. It's literally AIDS. It is the mm -hmm. gradual deterioration of the immune system prolonged over time via convergent means. It's surreal. Yeah, it yeah, really is. Yeah. And so, you know, I was going to ask you like what your take is on, it seems like slowly, gradually, they're starting to walk it back. Like they're like, some of this stuff is trickling to the surface. Some of the stuff we've been talking about, like they've got mainstream articles talking about, you know, well, yeah, it does affect women's menstruation a little bit. And it's like, okay. And then that's just whitewashing. And then, and then yeah, just, well, yeah. And then like the lady, what's her name? Lena Wynn going on CNN and saying like, well, of course, cloth, ma cloth masks don't work. Like, of course they don't. Like, yeah, but oh. that's just to bring in heavier masks right now. Oh, okay. they're, they're trying. There's a real push to like to get everybody wearing surgical masks right oh, now. Okay. So that's. Like, yeah. um, but, but, no, I hear you. Um, oh man, no, I know what you guys mean. And holy crap, yeah, I see this as a deliberate, long form calculation of. Okay, so you know the movie Tropic of Thunder, yeah. like, okay. Pardon my language that I'm going to say the uh, unsayable word of retard. But in the movie Tropic of Thunder, uh, there's the the line about Ben Stiller, who had played a part in a movie where he was depicting a mentally handicapped individual. And Robert Downey Jr. wearing blackface says to Ben Stiller to console him after the, the pain of being ridiculed because of this part that he had played, that you never go full retard. Mm -hmm. You never go full full retard because it's not something that people respond well to it's something that they're kind of creeped out by and they avoid the movies of the quote-unquote retards that we watch are very affectionate and and they make us like like forrest gump it's, it's like didn't go full retard he's a nice sweet man that's wonderful yeah okay so what the media is doing right now is going full retard and they're doing it <laughs> on purpose yeah they're doing it on purpose now they're not internally within the media doing it on purpose because oh we're all in on it no they're that incompetent but the people who orchestrate that in the militarized war game situations are full-on aware of the absurdity of the habitually conditioned behaviorism of the masses look at the initial rushes for toilet paper that happened <laughs> and how that was something that was then mimicked across the nation what they're doing insofar as i can uh, theorize and come to understand is deliberately destroying themselves controlled demolition of the american yeah. empire style yeah. yep. via predictive narrative scaffolding that will bring about the revelations that we've had and have been trying to discuss to the public forum to then use that as the wrecking ball momentum for the next stage of the agenda mm -hmm. what specifically that is Gotta or what back better yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know that that's a great reset. We understand that that's weather warfare. We understand that that ties into the Club of Rome and the way in which they've been seeding these things over time. We understand that there is the uh, transhumanist agenda, which overlaps with um, the 
transgender agenda. Now, transgender thing, I personally make the contention, if you look at the two-spirit phenomena back in Native American persons, it is a legitimate phenomena, but it's also simultaneously an agenda. For that matter, so is vegetarianism. I'm a vegetarian, but I recognize that it's also an agenda to make everyone not be able to eat meat. So we're in this weird Soros kind of environment where they're funding all sides at the same time to pit us all against each other in one giant fucking Thunderdome clusterfuck, and they're using the public ignorance broaching the realm of conspiracy as the wrecking ball to accomplish it and the most fucked up part of all of that is that we ourselves in the alternative media are playing our part because we're helping to almost in a mere juxtaposition of the mainstream narrative perpetuate that which they can then flip around and use in a bait and switch mm -hmm. it's fucked it's like there are all these different layers to the war game. Like I look at Syria, what happened with the way in which Syria rolled out. That was like an algorithmic blueprint for what they then outsourced to the civilian population. They were practicing how to get this many different militias, narratives, uh, various different convergent forces to do very particular things in very particular ways and no one to have accountability. Those war game situations are what we're seeing right now in psychological operations. So mm -hmm. I see this whole fucking thing as a long form story that's going to be there the whole of our damn lives. And it's going to be, I don't know, I'm, I'm still figuring a lot of this shit out myself. Oh, so I'm not saying it like I'm an oracle. I'm sort of just like, this is this is my kind of sense of what's going on and and like where the direction that it's going, you know? Well, one thing I want to get on the record here, and uh, maybe we can point our listeners towards some further research they could do. But before we started recording, you talked a little bit about uh, some research you'd come across that Jay Dyer had done regarding Australia. I don't really want to get that on the record here because it's important. We talked to the Flatten the Herd podcast, the most dangerous <laughs> podcast in Australia last week and uh and then they had some they gave us a boots on the ground update there but you were saying something else that jay had uncovered regarding australia yeah so it's it's i don't remember specifically the interview offhand like uh he yeah. always has very flamboyant or or uh, uh clickbaity titles which uh, he does extraordinary work but his titles i don't remember them very well uh hopefully you guys will be able to scrounge it up in the references yeah, that have maybe. it included notes but what jay was talking about was an old essay that he'd read from someone who was in uh the i don't know if it was dark luciferian religion or the church of satan itself and how in essence what they had done is infiltrate the bowels of the military in australia and the police such that they could then use that country as the testing center for abuses of the human species to then be outsourced elsewhere and he was this is once again jay dyer and he's not making the declaration that this definitively is the case but insofar as his ability to explain the unfathomable insanity of what we have observed in australia yeah. it in my mind at this point is like the only conceivable thing that there is a significantly deeper infiltration of some sort of religious denomination wherein they see themselves as charged with the responsibility of going as far as they can and that seems to be the geologic or the the geopolitical location wherein they have decided to go about doing that uh so yeah check out that jay dyer kind of thing totally. where it's it's talking about that because yeah, for those of you also, for that matter, if you haven't really looked into how the Church of Satan is just a front for dark Luciferianism, which is a very real religion that a lot of people genuinely practice and believe in, and the occult sciences factor into all of that, it, what I just said can seem like, no, that's just batshit crazy. And all, like on the record, I spent the first probably eight years of research into conspiracy not wanting to accept how bad it actually is. Mm, yeah. So if there's anyone out there who's listening, it's just like, 
there's no way it's that bad. The thing I've learned most over the course of researching, it could always be a lot worse than you ever imagined <laughs> it was. Yeah. And just wait. Like, just... Holy shit, is okay. it bad? And yeah. This is one of those things. Yeah, a couple turns of the page and all of a sudden it gets, wow, I didn't even realize it could get that dark. Holy crap. Yeah, it's like, oh man, wow. That was... <laughs> That was like one psyop a minute ago, and now it's 50 of them, and I don't even know if my name is what I thought it was. Exactly, exactly. So, Tisa, I want to ask, though, if now we know how bad Australia is, but I certainly am not hearing a lot of good stuff out of Canada and your prime minister. How how is it up in Canada? (laughs) That guy is such a joke. That is such a joke. Okay. The the jokes just write themselves with that guy. I don't know if he's actually mini Castro. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's. It could be the case. Um, it's very interesting that he was on the Lolita Express flight log. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's worn blackface so many times that he himself doesn't know how many, and yet will go out there and make charges that people are racist. And as he's previously been a host of entertainment shows and has done a variety of different stunts to garner attention over the course of his life, but he's basically just a pretty boy. I don't want to say the word retard because that would okay. He's he's kind of like on the cusp of serving a purpose and at the same time being so absurd that it almost makes a joke of yourself of itself just like you guys were saying the jokes write themselves so there's a great deal of uh it's it's split the way that it is everywhere there's a whole lot of uh disregard and animosity for him internally within canada when he was doing his campaign recently for the election that we just had uh people were falling around screaming piece of shit at a campaign rally so that he'd have to cancel them. So that gives you a point of reference for that. Insofar as the overall psychological tone here in Canada, there's, I had a conversation with Addy ads about a month and a half ago or something where he, he briefly touched on it. And he was talking about how he foundationally believes that it's, it's remnant vestiges of the monarchy. And that's true. Canada is not a sovereign independent nation. If you look at the degree to which the royal family still has holdings over so much of the land, uh, it's it's kind of just a joke. Like if, if you if we remove the superficial veneer of nation states and peel apart the actual ownership and holdings, it's a very different picture. So a lot of those kind of like like South Africa, you know, like all of these kind of colonial um, and former monarchy pets still a lot of the time exhibit those quirks. Canada is very much like that. We're not the brutal authoritarianism model that is rolled out in Australia. We're a passive aggressive, please, sir, may I have another kind of way of going about it. And it's, it's. I would agree with Addy's contention that it is in essence lingering vestiges of the entrainment of the monarchy and what that does to a people mm. in their prolonged emergence of culture. So, yeah, we're, we're a bootlicking, bitch-whipped, fuck-up kind of uh, freezing-ass country that uh, should be ashamed of itself right now. But generally speaking, the media is so owned and everyone's so um, committed to the idea of being polite no matter what that we just keep going along with it. You know, yeah. that's the situation. So. Yeah. Frustrating, you know. I feel I feel that same way here too. It's like Jesus, really, really. Like America's supposed to be leading this thing. Like we're supposed to be sending troops out to places like Canada and Australia to liberate everybody. Like what is going on? But which, okay, like I I shouldn't be advocating for foreign invention. That's something I stand firmly against. But at the same time, maybe the one time it actually is kind of justified. Like what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Uh, all, this, all the movies we watched growing up telling us what America was. It's yeah. <laughs> Darn it. 
Darn it, if only. Well, shoot. Tease, any word of advice for these folks? Like, as, as this is a spiritual battle, how can we embolden and, uh, you know, protect our spirits in this crazy war as it warms up in 2022? Well, I'm not very good at that myself on a personal level because I'm an artist. And when you're an artist, it's basically your responsibility to break yourself down to nothing so that you experience most of life as more or less misery so that you can then transmute that and present it to other people as a beautiful rose so that they don't have to clutch thorns. That's sort of how it works. Um, I, I would go a step further than that and say, uh, if you're really deeply kind of in tuned as an artist, not insofar as your personal choice to be one, but rather almost imbued with that responsibility incarnate here on this earth, it's like taking barbed wire or razor wire and knitting it into a cashmere sweater. There cannot be a single solitary barb in that, which means that you need feel and remove every single one. So I don't enjoy being alive that much. It kind of sucks. It hurts a lot of the time. And I see it as like sort of a sacrifice of what I have to do to endure turning those thorns into a rose. What I do is I smoke a shit ton of weed. I try and laugh about it. I try and play video games to relax. I try and go out there and enjoy nature. I try and have uh, liberating and mind-opening conversations with other people. If something feels uncomfortable to me, I don't try and avoid it. I don't try and jump on it. I try and reflect on it. And I think that a lot of what we're missing most from our lives are accurate reflections. Because a lot of the time, if we have a really deep wound, even if it's something that we need to heal, the last thing on earth we can bring ourselves to do is to really look at it. And so that's what I do most is I really look, you know, and I think yeah. that's something that if more of us did in a real way, well, maybe just maybe we wouldn't go out there and wear the makeup that we do or feel the need to present ourselves in the way that we do. And so it's kind of just like those various different iterative layers that we have come to wear. And in incrementally, as we peel those away, maybe more and more normies will be less willing to cover their face, you know, hopefully, man, hopefully. Well, shoot, man. Well, tell the listeners. Okay, so first of all, just thank you again for like these awesome gifts, man. That really warms yeah, my heart. Thank you like, so I, much. I can't really. Yeah, I mean, just really, really special, really cool. We're gonna wear these with pride. Tell the listeners where they can get their own and just how they can follow your work and support you. Yeah, for sure. So my name's Tees. I'm a writer, director, producer, editor, actor, illustrator, and I host Conspiracy Synergy. Uh, that's a whole lot of different stuff. So basically, I'm just an artist. And um, you can go to either my personal website, which is Tease.ca. That's T-E-A-C-E dot C-A, because I'm in Canada, unfortunately. And uh, you can also go over to ConspiracySynergy.com. It's also available on BitChute and Odyssey and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, really what I do is I try and create the tools that people can use as outreach to their friends and family so that we can come to a point of having conversations about very, very difficult things because we're at that point in time right now. And 100%. so, yeah, those are the places to find me and the ways to support me and the ways to use the things that I provide you to reach out to the people that matter to you most. Beautiful. All right. And if nothing else, go go get a good laugh and just learn something on the videos. Let's find the Easter eggs. Post a comment saying, like, ooh, there's a nice little Easter egg, right? So, Tease, thank you so much, brother. Man, this has been awesome. Like, Definitely. we're going to have to do this again. Um, and just let us know, man. Just let us know if there's anything you got yeah. coming up. And we'll, well, we'll give a good okay, shout you guys, out. I'll probably get bumping you guys at Union of the Unwanted sometime. I mean, we've seen each other a handful yeah. of times over there. Heck Definitely. yeah, brother. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Thanks have again, a wonderful Tease. evening. You too. All right, later. later. Bam. Dude, dude, he, he's on point. He is so well spoken, man. Yeah, that's, like, I'm just like, <laughs> I have to. I'm almost like intimidated. Like someone is that well spoken. Yeah, like you can tell. Like he just is 
read it all, right? Yeah. I felt like... Yeah, he's probably read every single one of those books totally. in the, in the bookcase there. Probably, probably 100%. I mean, I'm jealous. Yeah, I got some catching up to do, but... That's yeah. so great, man. I love all of it. I got so many notes here to follow up on. So it's yeah, like, dude. awesome. Well, man, shit, these man. shirts are amazing, too. I know. Too. I'm stoked. Yeah. Freaking, uh, yeah, uh, uh, what is it? Anonymous Santa. Anonymous Santa. There you go. All right, well, anything else, Ed? You know, I think it's time to wish everyone wish in, all of you intellectual, intellectual prosperity. Intellectual prosperity. Beep, 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 ding.